From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. For months, Russian troops have been amassing along the Ukrainian border. NATO is alarmed about Russia's military buildup on Ukraine's borders. And now 130,000 Russian troops and heavy machinery stand ready along... While in recent days, some of those troops have begun withdrawing, officials in the Biden administration are still warning that Russia is on the cusp of invading Ukraine. Our information indicates clearly that these forces are preparing to launch an attack against Ukraine in the coming days. But Russia has repeatedly rejected that claim, accusing the US of nonsense and melodrama. Do we want it? War or not? Of course not. The immediate crisis stems from Ukraine's desire to join the international security alliance, NATO, a move that the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, considers an existential threat to Russia's security. Today, former head of the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, Michael Costello, on the real origins of the dispute between Russia and Ukraine and what the US and its allies might be getting wrong. I think we're just on the cusp now of uh, an all-out conflict, and I think it's uh, tragic and we'll see terrible scenes unfolding. This is the first in a two-part series from 7am, examining rising geopolitical tensions between the world's superpowers. It's Monday, February 21. Michael, you wrote an article for the Saturday paper about the situation in Ukraine, and while I was reading it, I couldn't help but think that your perspective on how we should be considering the crisis, it's very different to a lot of what I've been reading and hearing in the Australian media recently. So can you tell me about your views on what's playing out? Well, I was engaged in diplomatic service for many, many years and foreign policy advising. And one of the things I learned very, very early on, which I think applies to all negotiation and mediation is an absolutely crucial part of it is you have to try and put yourself in the shoes of the person in the country you're talking to. And this was very good advice given by Sir Winston Churchill in the late 1950s. And it's advice I always followed. Before you jump in, think, how would this look from their point of view? If you were Russian, how would you see the last 30 years, which began with the collapse of the then Soviet Union and the dismemberment of effectively an empire and Russia assuming its former role in the world? So that was my starting point. And I don't think there's much doubt that there was a triumphalism about the West and understandable, after all those 40 years of Cold War. Mm, Okay, so, Michael, as I understand it, your perspective is that we need to try and see this current conflict through Russia's eyes. You're saying that that's important when you consider what happened after the Cold War ended. So what did happen, and what do you mean when you refer to the triumphalism of the West in the wake of that victory. Good evening and Merry Christmas to all Americans across our great country. During these last few months... Well, I think there was an understandable view of, my God, we did it, we triumphed in the contest between the Soviet Union 
empire and the West. The Soviet Union itself is no more. This is a victory for democracy and freedom. But instead of saying, well, how do we consolidate this? How do we take advantage of the peaceful collapse of an empire and try and ensure that this doesn't happen again? And even though there clearly was on the then Soviet side a clear understanding that NATO would not extend itself beyond its existing boundaries. That is not what happened. Okay, and so NATO is very important here. So that is the the military alliance between various European countries and the US, and it has its origins in the aftermath of the Second World War, but its significance, at least for us, begins at the end of the Cold War because that's when NATO started to grow and to become more active in Eastern Europe and and more countries began to join. So can you tell me about that expansion and what it meant for Russia? So gradually, countries of the former Soviet Union were incorporated into NATO. Today, we proudly welcome... Bulgaria, Slovakia, and Slovenia. Bulgaria, Hungary, Poland. Latvia, Lithuania, Romania. Uh, Then, of course, the three Baltic states, Lithuania, Estonia, actually border on the Soviet Union, but are very small. They join NATO. We welcome them into the ranks of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. So it's much bigger than it was, uh, and that never was the plan when it was established. And if you were in Russia's shoes, how would you feel about this? NATO's expansion has angered Vladimir Putin. We won't move one inch towards the east, they told us in the 1990s. And what happened? They deceived us. They brazenly tricked us. They are instinctively, historically paranoid about their borders. On NATO, Russia is looking to the future and the past. It wants NATO to promise that Ukraine will never join. Russia has a border with Ukraine of over 2,000 kilometres. And the idea that NATO, which is expressly designed to deal with Russian, what is perceived as a Russian threat, should be actually on its borders, you can understand why they might be alarmed at that. Okay, and so one of the precursors to this current crisis in Ukraine is Russia's unwillingness to allow Ukraine to join NATO. And I suppose what you're saying is that unwillingness, it really stems from this fear of encirclement. On top of that, though, Michael, there is also this issue of the promise that that Russia says was made that would stop this from happening, the promise that NATO wouldn't expand. But is that accurate? Well, there is this learned argument about whether the promise was made or whether it wasn't. What is undoubtedly clear is that the Russians thought they did have that undertaking. And it's not a bunch of left-wing Soviet lovers who say that to the contrary. Dr. Owen Harries, 
a very distinguished conservative foreign policy intellectual who worked for Malcolm Fraser as his foreign policy advisor and was very, very highly regarded by Kissinger and others. He said it was undoubtedly the case that such undertakings had been given, even though there was nothing in writing. Now, it's true that Ukraine has a perfect right to apply and NATO has a perfect right to accept. I don't doubt that. But there are consequences for your actions. I use the analogy, if Russia and or China asked Mexico to join in an alliance with them and situated troops in Mexico, what do you think the Americans would do? Would they regard that as a threat? Mexico would have a perfect right to do it, and Russia and China would have a perfect right to do it. But would there not be unbelievable apprehension on the United States? There was, I remember some time ago, talk of China trying to get a port, a naval base in PNG. Imagine if that happened to us. What would our reaction be? Would we regard that as hostile? Of course we would. And I think you see that with Russia. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Michael, you've been telling me about the ways in which you think that Russia's fear of NATO, fear of invasion, is, I suppose, somewhat justified if you think about the history and also the ways in which other countries might react if they were put in a similar position. But I just want to push back on this a bit, because is NATO really a legitimate threat to Russia at this moment in time? Because no one is suggesting that NATO is about to invade Ukraine or or even Russia, but Russia is positioning troops on the Ukraine border and it has invaded Ukrainian territory in fairly recent history. So can that comparison really be made? It's an exact comparison. What you've said is correct. I don't believe for a moment that NATO has any plans to uh, attack Russia. So I agree with what the Americans are doing at the moment, negotiating hard, trying to find ways through this. And all I'm saying is, In doing so, you need to have an understanding that there may well be genuine fears on the part of the Russians about all this, given their history. Now, you can poo-poo that and say, oh, it's ridiculous to think that the West would invade them. But it has, not as the West, 
but as individual countries. Germany, France, Sweden, for gosh sakes, had all invaded Russia successfully. Wherever you look, you find that countries live their history. History doesn't happen and then disappear from the mind. I worked in uh, Yugoslavia before its dissolution in 1971 to 73, I think it was, in the embassy there. And I can tell you, various Serbs, Croats, Bosnians would talk to you about events, and you would be thinking they were talking about something that happened 20 years ago, but they weren't. They were talking about things that happened 700 years ago, as though they were real, alive today. And when the Russians think about themselves, they think about their inv the invasions that have happened to them. When Britain thinks about itself, it has obviously a nostalgia for its great empire, and that's a living thing for many of them. And it also has a huge nostalgia for the Second World War, in which they played such a prominent part in the defeat of Hitler. They live in people's minds. They're not something, well, that's over, why do you think that? They're real, and it's real for Russia. Right now, dominant theme in a large part of the American population is make America great again. They look back on their history and think they're not what they were. So I think you just have to have this in mind when you're trying to negotiate with people, that they see things from a very different perspective to yourself. And you try and work the problem through. Sometimes you can't, but you certainly have a much better chance of doing so if you acknowledge that the other side may have a different history and different way of looking at the world than yourself. Mm. And, Michael, you're the former Secretary of the Department of Foreign Affairs, which is an incredibly senior role when it comes to Australian diplomacy and, and to foreign affairs. I just want to put to you that the kind of argument that you're making, it could be interpreted as appeasement of, of Vladimir Putin. Mm. So what do you make of that? Well, the argument I'm making is that if Russia invades Ukraine, there should be the most incredible sanctions put on them, that sanctions such as never been seen before. I don't think that's actually appeasement. And I don't think there's anybody that I know of, not in the United States or anywhere else, that says we should go to war over an invasion of Ukraine, that we should fight the Russians ourselves. I don't think there's something appeasing about that. Okay, so if you don't think that the US should go to war, what do you think it should do? What do you think an appropriate response would be right now? Well, it may be negotiations won't work and there is invasion. That's perfectly possible. But it's also perfectly possible that these talks, which have begun and where Americans have put forward alternative propositions, which are significant ones, about trying to modify Russia's concerns about its security, as well as meeting their own interests, and those discussions are still alive. What I'm saying is in those discussions, it would be sensible to approach it with a sense that the apprehensions the Russians express may seem outlandish to yourself, but if you're Russian, seem very real. And that reality is something that you need to try and find a way to deal with to satisfy them. I'm not suggesting for a moment that you should say, sure, take over Ukraine, reincorporate it in Russia. Not for a second. Quite the opposite. How do you find a way where the interests of the Ukraine, Russia and NATO can be properly and decently met? 
Michael, thank you so much for your time today. I hope it helps. Tomorrow on 7am, we explore the rising tension between China and the US and its allies, including Australia. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has said that Australia will follow through with sanctions on Russia if it invaded Ukraine. Morrison said Australia had always stood up to bullying and coercion, but he confirmed the government would not be sending troops to Ukraine. And a modelling agent with close links to Jeffrey Epstein has been found dead in a French jail cell. Jean-Luc Brunel was being held while being investigated for rape and sex trafficking of minors. An investigation into his death is currently underway. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.